Hi guys, KO here. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution by uniting mission-driven humans. I'm so excited to be with you today. We are welcoming a rock star to the TNT mic, Susie DeVille. She is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs build wildly successful businesses by rediscovering their creativity and leveraging the power of their true nature. She's an author, a coach, an entrepreneur who is now wildly successful and built herself out from the depths of what she calls her nuclear winter. So if you're in it, you're looking for some inspiration, it's time to get creative. Listen to this podcast. It's packed full of quick tips to get on path, but I highly suggest you check out her book for the long version. It is well worth your time and energy to get back on path, and we can individually make this world a better place just by being creative. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out the video on YouTube and have yourself a great, blissfully creative day. Cheers. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I am so excited today. I And you know I say this every time because this is such a privilege to be here with my guests and everyone tuning in. Today, we have a friend of a friend, a connect of a connect. If you listen to the show, you know these are my favorite things because friends of friends are friends. And I met this fabulous human being at Be Golden in 2022. I was a fellow speaker. I had the privilege of hearing her speak, and she is one of my good friend, um, uh, friends, Chelsea and Sarah, they're the founders of Be Golden. She's Chelsea's coach and she spoke so highly of her. So I'm super pumped to bring this voice to you guys. I'm going to do a quick intro, but before we do that, Susie DeVille, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Yes, we are going to unpack so many things around entrepreneur, creativity, all the things. But before we do, you know, we're going to get the formal bio and then it's a rock and roll show from there. Susie DeVille is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs build wildly successful businesses by rediscovering their creativity and leveraging the power of their true nature. An author, coach, and entrepreneur who built and sold a highly profitable real estate firm, she has been researching innovation and creativity since 2005. She is the founder and CEO of the Innovation and Creative Creativity Institute and trained as a coach with Dr. Dr. Martha Beck. Her first book, which we're going to talk about today, Buoyant, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free is out now. I'm currently reading it and we're getting into it. But as I said, Susie, welcome to TNT. Uh, tell me how you're feeling today. It's the new year. You have a new uh, book. What's the vibe? I, am, I feel like I'm on fire right now yes. in all the good ways. Last year, about midpoint through the year, I was on fire in not the good ways because I was just so freaked out about my book launch. Um, Now I have just this juicy, fun, promotional part of the journey, connecting with new people, connecting with people on deeper levels, sharing the work, hearing what's inspiring to them, and just being on this magic carpet ride. So I love it. Magic carpet ride. We're going to go with that. I, I love that so much. Here's what's so magical about today. I'm 42. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I think when I was graduating college, many of uh, my peers, you know, we did the traditional system, high school, college, get a nine to five, go through the job. I, that never spoke to my soul. I was a D1 athlete. So as soon as I was done with that, I loved lacrosse. <laughs> I no longer wanted a boss. I didn't even understand entrepreneurship, but I was like, we're going to figure it out. We're doing this. 
bossless and we're, we're going to figure it out. But now fast forward, you know, 20 years, not to age myself, um, entrepreneurship is bigger than ever. You got kiddos. The number one reported job kids want to be, um, is an influencer, which my consulting firm, we work specifically with them. So there's a major asterisk around that, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. But people are taking their path and their journey and their creativity into their own hands, but it's new conversation. It's new conversation for my generation and it's new conversation for the young guys, but they're just figuring it out earlier. So I'm curious before we get into the book and everything else, tell us a little bit about young Susie, like how we kind of got to how we are right now, but not the full journey, but maybe just the clip Well, I, um, I'm from the mountains of North Carolina, a little town called Highlands, which is where I live now. And I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My father had a retail shop um, on, on Highlands Main Street. So I grew up working in the store and basically got a mini MBA um, as a teenager because he taught me all along the way. And he was such a great teacher. Um, But my educational background is in anthropology and entrepreneurship. And then my work experience is in publishing, nonprofit leadership, real estate, and business coaching. And I've been an entrepreneur now, which I can't believe, 30 years. There you go. I love it. Um, I am curious. I So I... As an athlete, you kind of learned like these life skills through sports very early. So why my resume didn't say entrepreneurial, you know, education specifically, you're very much on your own journey, handling your own stuff. Um, But how did like the real life experience compare to the formal education? Like, do you think both of them were obviously necessary? Did you learn more more from one one more than versus the other? Well, I think that there is nothing that can compare to the school of hard knocks and this daily practice of literally crawling around on your hands and, and knees trying to find the light switch yeah, <laughs> and um, skinning your knees and getting back up and learning what works, iterating, and not letting any of that mean anything about your level of competency or your future success. It's just, okay, that didn't work. So let me try the next thing. Um, there's nothing that can com- compare to that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Having said that, my educational experience um, was with some very unique entrepreneurs who taught in a very different way. So of course there was a lot of research that we did and that we were exposed to, but it wasn't this theoretical um, lofty study of entrepreneurship. We were reading the um, inside scoop on, you know, some of the most powerful entrepreneurs in our lives. And so really taking that firsthand knowledge from what they learned and then applying it to our own work. And they kept everything very practical. But there again, you're in a classroom, um, but I still lean into some of the things that I learned during that experience. And it really did help to shape my brain in terms of understanding early that a lot of these folks started out knowing nothing (laughs) and um, that ended up serving them pretty well. Yeah. Well, and the reason I specifically asked that one for my own indulgence, but two, I think we've got a multitude of listeners for two American tequila. I think we've got our young people that are seeking entrepreneurship and then people maybe my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older that are looking to make a change, either get out of the corporate world or even get into it. Like they're switching from one or the other, but regardless, even if you are in the corporate world, most people at this point have a side hustle. So there's some sort of entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. situation in some capacity happening, which is great. And a lot of times it's not even about the money. It's about the passion. It's the creative. It's like my podcast. This is 100% a passion project. 
to be monetized at the right time, but this is the sole fuel. So I think those entrepreneurial sk skills are not always about the business and making money. It's about the fuel. And it's also really about your mindset, how you can foster agility and flexibility and be your own power plant. And that's a lot about, you know, what I cover in my book, which is how do we inspire ourselves to fill our tanks full of willingness to do the thing that scares us, to face the fear of failing, to sort of cross into that portal of uncertainty and how do we tolerate that? And our creativity really is our sort of magic weapon against all of that. Yes. And you talk a lot about like, you, you know, authenticity and our young selves, things that we're drawn to um, when we're younger. And on Turmeric and Tequila, I talk a lot about philosophy and reality is nothing more than applied meaning. So we are everything around us is made up and we learn it. So we are these authentic little individuals as kids. And then we kind of get watered down by society and things we should do. Tell me a little bit about your journey of how, you know, you you talking openly, openly about going through a divorce, being in debt, not treating your body and mind kindly, like you're kind of in the rut of things, which I think a lot of people are in this new year. What was it where you were able to like kind of shake all these society's labels or switch your mindset and pivot into channeling the creativity? Like, tell me about how you got there and then the pivot into this new space. Sure. So I was very fortunate to have two parents who on repeat said, do whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. You will be great at whatever you do. Just go for it. We're cheering you on. <laughs> And so I didn't have anybody telling me, like I was the one calling home when I was a sophomore in college saying, I don't know what I want to major in. And they were like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Just take what you love, follow what looks interesting. Um, talk to the people who love the, their professors and take that class. So I, oh, I had all of this free reign and no expectations about a certain path that I had to follow, which was fantastic, a huge gift. Um, however, when I got into my nuclear winter period, which is what I called um, my 2008 to 2013 time period, when the markets crashed, literally everything in my life just sort of simultaneously imploded. So my finances, my business, my marriage, my health, and I was in such a mess that I thought, I'm going to have to do something radically different to pull myself out of this. And if I can figure out how to extricate myself from this, I promise I'm going to reach back and teach absolutely mm -hmm. everything that I learned. And no one was more surprised than I that it wasn't all about working harder and finding some magical keys to productivity hacks or having all kinds of um, furrowed brow productivity because I was just a person who believed in hard work and I could, um, you know, hard work my way out of whatever mess I was in. And the more I tried that approach, the worse my situation became. So I realized, well, I'm going to now try something completely different. And that was a mix of innovation and creativity coupled with following what it is that I love and listening much more to what it was that was calling up from the depths of my soul as to how to approach a certain situation and to tap into my ideation and my intuition and my imagination. Because all of that was routinely squelched out 
prior to my nuclear winter period because I was working like a maniac. Mm -hmm. I was working like 80 plus hours a week and I was very successful, but I had turned the valve off onto the pipeline from my true self, which of course turns you into an exhausted, <laughs> burned out, very unhappy soul who um, may have success on one level, but certainly not on the levels that give us meaning and give us connection to the world. Yeah. Uh, a, lo a lot of valid points there, but I just want to reiterate more isn't more. I love that you, I mean, it's kind of obviously a running theme through the book, but it's, it's breaking down, especially in our American culture that more is more and less sleep and just do. And I always talk about our varsity humans. We always think that, oh, you know what? I need to run a marathon. I'll train more. I'll do this. I'll I can control it. I can fix it. Like, and we're, we're just going to make it right. And in all the things that matter in this world, you know, relationships, love, purpose, like I mean, there's so many uncontrollables, like you can't really do anything about so much. So it's hard to like, until you're beat down. And I've been in that space many times of like, I, I can't, I have literally have no more energy. So now I'm forced to be still and then have yes. let and receive the messages to come in. Um, the good news is I think our young people get it. I don't think they chase mm -hmm. that narrative perhaps as much as we did. Um, it, it's a different prescribed reality for them. Do you see that? Do you, do you work with younger people, like all different ages and see a different way of digesting what we're supposed to be doing? I have to say, I never in a million years thought that I would have the reaction that I have gotten from um, Gen Z mm -hmm. cohorts to, to the book. <laughs> and they have said to me, this is the first time since I was about five years old that I feel like there's a place in the world for me, oh. that I feel like I can fit into this world. And then create something that reflects who I truly am as a result of that. And when I was writing, I was thinking of the 40, 50, 60, you know, year old who is on the gerbil wheel, yeah. right? Because that that's that was an earlier version of myself. Um, but what's just so fascinating to me is that my uh, my son, Adam, who is 100% Gen Z, um, and his stories are in the book, <laughs> Um, is completely that way. I mean, he he has taught me things like, Mom, how come you're not playful anymore? Oh. I mean, <laughs> or um, telling me uh, this was just this like every parent's nightmare when he took the standardized tests for college entrance and he did very well. But you know how you're supposed to take it multiple times so you can super score and all of yeah. these things to get the blah, blah, to do the blah, blah. And he was like, I took it once. I'm good. Yeah. And I was just like breathing into a brown paper bag. He just <laughs> absolutely refused to live someone else's version of what you should be doing. And here's what's so fascinating. This was probably um, six years ago. And now they're going to the, so many colleges are just getting rid of all of those entrance exams yep. anyway, and how prophetic he was and how apoplectic I was. Um, and so they are visionaries. This, I have this complete fascination and love affair with the Gen Z mindset and their whole way of viewing the world, because yeah. I'm convinced that their problem solving and their ability to create what it is that they want to see happen in the world is boundless, limitless. 
I completely agree. And I, it, and it really gives us hope for a future. And, and we yes. talk about this creativity and dialing ourselves. It's very myopic and you think about purposeful, but the larger 10,000 foot view, if you are taking care of yourself, we're focusing a lot on leadership and turmeric and tequila and, and my consulting business in 2023, is, which is essentially personal responsibility. But the ripple effect, it's not just about happiness and, you know, um, creativity and seeking purpose. It's about survival. Our young people are yes. thrown so much, so way earlier with less tools to deal with things and youth suicides up and um, self like all this mental health conversation. It's a very, very serious conversation. It starts with very myopic intentions, but you see the ripple effect. But if we're all living a little bit more dialed in, understanding and purposeful, and then you're modeling that for those around you, influencers in real life, it changes the conversation. And then you have our young humans that get, you know, what took us 20 years, 30 years to understand at 16, 17, 18, 19, and their conversation's completely different. To me, I think the key is if, if we can engage them with authenticity and tools, they're going to move from sort of being cynical on the sidelines, which I 100% understand because we have done such a fabulous job mm -hmm. delivering all kinds of you know, world changing issues on their futures. Um, but if we can, if we can give them those tools and inspire them to look beyond where, where things are now, they're going to go from cynical to activism. And we've just saw that in the last election yeah. when they have, when they have that guidance and they have that modeling and they have the, um, someone who is helping them channel their, ideas and their creativity and give them the tools that no one can stop them. They're, they're, they're unbelievably powerful and, um, collectively, um, perhaps going to be one of the most powerful, uh, generations, um, you know, ever potentially. Yeah. I completely agree. You know, we spend all these years, like you talk about the metaphor of the Buddha in your book and it gets covered in cement and then it gets rediscovered when a piece of cement chips off and the gold shines through. And I think they have less layers of cement you know, on them. So there's less to peel off because they had this conversation earlier. They're dealing with a whole different set of issues, but it's kind of like our generation that needs to continue to do that. So we're almost like catching up and meeting them where they're at. Uh, so on that note, yes. I, I, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's almost totally. like we're, we're in reverse, but it's like the student became the teacher and now the teachers need yes. to listen to the kids, the yes. students and <laughs> this whole yes. rotating cycle. They're, they're coming at us with the chisels <laughs> for our concrete <laughs> yes. to wake us up. And absolutely. It's, it's so real. It's like the power of listening um, <laughs> is, is a big thing. Some of it, some of the things you got to swipe through the TikTok videos and some of the things going on, but uh, there's a lot of power within. I am super excited about this conversation around creativity. I've done, I'm very passionate on core values. They lead my business and obviously my personal world. And I talk about them when you're recruiting ambassadors or your business, whatever. My top three core values, and I need to do them, it's been a little while, but are independent, are honesty, independence, and creativity. And I did this like four or five years ago. I didn't, I was like, creativity, I'm like, is that a core value? What does this mean? And there's tons of tests you can take out there. I actually have a really good, inexpensive one on, on my site that's through a third party. So it's not even like a business partnership with us. It's just, it's a good one that I found. But if you want to run yours, but if um, if you have done them, they can kind of be listed different, but this creativity has shown through time and time again. 
And it's coming up now in 2023 more than ever. I'm a huge music, art, fashion fan, and I'm but I'm a longtime athlete. So identity is athlete. And now we're shifting to this creative space. So yes. tell me, and I think our kids get it, but like, how did creativity really break into your work? Because we're not taught to like paint or draw or do these things. Like, how did you even reconnect with that? So I was the the person who grew up with the classic art shaming inc incidents um, that Brene Brown talks about, <laughs> art scars, creativity scars. And um, so very early on, I just decided I'm not an artist because my definition of being an artist was if you can physically rep represent something real in the world on a piece of paper that looks like the thing in the world, then you're an artist. And then you are creative as a, as a result of that. Well, my horse that I drew looked like a coffee table. So I thought, well, that's it for me. I'm out. <laughs> and I carried that belief literally through about 2013, right as the, um, uh, right as the sort of end of my nuclear winter period was happening. I started really clamoring for changing that story. I was doing research on innovation and creativity and had been doing that for up, up to that point, um, seven years. And so I had all of the research that proved yeah. the benefits, but I wasn't doing it myself because I was scared to death. And I thought, there's just no way I can do it. It's not a world that I can access. And then I finally just sort of said, there's just no way that I can resist this any longer. And I started taking classes in basic watercolor and sketching. But my first sort of foray was sketching. And I was sketching peaches. And I talk about this in the book. And I really um, had no idea how to approach it. And so I was just sort of sitting there sharpening, sharpening a pencil. And then I started sort of drop in to a completely different state and just really see and appreciate what was in front of me. And I was completely bowled over by the detail and the color and the uniqueness and the beauty of these peaches. And I was at the same time mourning the fact that I had been running through the world missing so much beauty and so much awe and so much wonder because I was just going from A to B mm -hmm. to this appointment to that appointment. So when that started to crack me open and I started to see that, wait a second, it's not about the thing that we make and we may love it, but whether or not we consider it to be good or bad, or if anybody else likes it or doesn't like it, that's not the point. The point is what happens to you in the moments of creating, because that drops us in a, into a completely different state of being, which is a, a different kind of meditation, but it's like being in a crucible where you're building the musculature for tolerating what it is that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And if there's any skill that relates to entrepreneurship um, as the number one skill to have, it's that because if we can continue to pierce through the veil of being stuck on one side 
oh, I don't know how to do the tech for that. Or I've got a great idea, but is everybody going to hate it? Or am I going to be ridiculed if I go on, on social media and say, blah, blah, blah. And so we hold ourselves back. We hold ourselves back. That stuffing down of what is the force of creativity is not benign. In fact, it's toxic to us because creativity wants to move and it wants to move through us and out into the world to impact and affect other people and to bring them into a new kind of way of seeing and being. And so Dylan Thomas talks about this in his poem. He calls creativity the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. But if we're just stuffing, 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 then we're in a state of stagnation and disconnection and depleted energy. And we don't have access to our best problem solving and um, our ability to manage burnout and impulse control. And so here come all the, the icky habits that we don't want. Because that separation from ourselves is very painful. And in order to tolerate it, we're going to search for things to numb it out. And, and it can be overwork. It can be uh, mindless social media, you know, for hours and hours. It can be alcohol. It can be food. It can be whatever to help us tolerate the fact that we're not connected to our true selves. It, uh, is that considered escapism essentially? Like, would oh, you yes, consider the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, not a new conversation, but I always try and drop that in there because I think we're doing it way yeah. more than we think. And even like unconsciously, when you get overwhelmed, and entrepreneurship yes. is so, so hard, even if you're good and dialed in. Like, I, my young people are like, you know, I've got this business plan and I always kind of laugh. I'm not a planner, not because I don't like having a plan, but. If you know anything, if you've been in it, everything goes a different way, especially if you do events and whatever else and managing humans, which is all good. So you kind of <laughs> learn to innovate and <laughs> deal with people and it's the joy of the process. It's kind of like drawing. It might not look good, but we, it was worthwhile. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, getting getting our people together. But entrepreneurship is so hard. It's hard to stay in it. You talk about burnout. If you're if you're listening and you're an entrepreneur, I'm I'm curious on your first steps of advice. Like you're down in it, you're kind of like in your nuclear winter, like you said. You know, it's a new year. Maybe your business isn't thriving, or you're not excited about it. I was kind of experiencing some of this. I've done what I've done for you know 20 years now, and it's it's awesome. We know what we're doing, but it's like, how do we flicker this flame? You know, a little bit higher. Like what else? What what's new and fresh? And hence, we're chasing fashion and music, more creative stuff. But what is your advice to someone that's kind of in it right now? That's like. What do I do? Do I pick up a pen and draw? Like, where, what is my first step out of this nuclear winter? So the first thing is to, I think, be aware that we need to do whatever it is that we need to do to get our agency back, which is the power over ourselves. And in order to do that, we've got to tap into our innate creativity and what's underneath that is inspiration. So how do we get this inspiration? Because we've been taught our whole lives that inspiration is this sort of light bulb moment <laughs> over your head where there's this sort of ding, you know, I get it. But inspiration from the way that I talk about it is the way Paulo Coelho uh, describes it, which is literally breathing in, inspiring yourself. So breathing in beauty, 
art, nature, being with people we love, doing what it is that we love, doing what brings us alive. So I talk about the path to doing that as the five M's. And I think it's just a very sort of handy, easy way to, to think about getting your hands around the, the practical ways you can bring this into your daily life. So the five M's are, and I'll tell you what they are as I, after I list them. The first is morning pages, which is um, an inspired uh, term from the author, Julia Cameron from the artist way, meditation, movement, moments of inspired learning and making something. So let me start at the beginning because I think it's the easiest way to start to have change. And we tend to believe that morning pages make more sense because initially it sort of feels like homework <laughs> and we're yeah. more willing to work more than we are to play more initially, but that will change. Um, but to get everybody going, morning pages is a wonderful way to start. And you don't have to have a fancy journal. You don't have to have beautiful prose. You don't even have to make sense because this is just your book. So you can grab a spiral notebook from the grocery store and get going. And it's three pages longhand every morning. And it's literally what's ever in your mind and distracting you. So it can be three pages of whining. <laughs> it can be three pages of ranting. It could be three pages of celebrating or wandering or all of the above. But basically the way that I like to look at it is you're taking out the mental trash first thing in the morning. And it seems so innocuous when you get started. How can this have some sort of alchemical power over my day or how I think or how I move in the world? But the proof will be there with you within three to four weeks, most likely even sooner than that. You will start to see that your day tends to go a certain way when you start your day with morning pages. It connects you back to what I call your creativity back channels and things that have been routinely tuned out that are your little um, sparks of, ooh, like a little blurt of an idea or a thing that you used to love to do, but life got busy and you stopped doing it. Or maybe I should have that conversation after all, or I wonder what would happen if I changed this, these little tiny things. So it starts to work on you like spiritual sandpaper. <laughs> and yeah. so it's very subtle, but it's very powerful. Um, then the next, of course, everybody knows what meditation is, but a lot of people will think that it has to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, to have any kind of benefit. And I just suggest that people start with five minutes. If you want to have a guided meditation, you can certainly do that. If you want to just sit in silence for five minutes in a quiet room, that's long enough for a central nervous system reset, calm you down, let that anxiety sort of, you know, the rock sort of settle at the bottom of the ocean floor. And 
you will later probably lengthen those sessions because of how great you feel. But again, to establish a habit, start small and, and start with just one or two of the five M's. Don't try to do everything at once. Yeah. Um, next movement for me, it's hiking. I like to go outside and hike with my dog every day in the woods. And I take a little journal, little pocket journal with me. And, um, as a matter of fact, I wrote quite a bit of my book standing in the middle of a trail (laughs) with a teeny tiny little (laughs) pencil and a teeny tiny little journal. Um, the best ideas for me come in the morning and when I'm hiking without fail. So if you feel like you're stuck or you're feeling like you've sort of hit a stagnation zone, get out and move. Or if you're not able to physically go outside, you can do chair exercises. You can move your body in any way that you're able to. And that will help get the communication going between the left and the right hemispheres in your brain. Um, The next is moments of inspired learning, and that can be as simple as listening to one minute of poetry being read aloud by one of your favorite poets. It can be looking in one of your books of inspirational quotes. It can be reading a book, a page that you happen to love, but just something for a very short period of time that takes you from one state to a a, a new state, a different way of feeling and being. Um, my favorite thing to do is to download some poetry onto my phone and then listen to one poem before I start my walk. And then I just sort of let that poem just sort of sit inside of me during the whole walk. And I notice things in a different way. I have a different kind of an awareness when I'm walking as a result of that. I just feel differently. I feel more connected to myself and as well as to just the environment that I'm in. I love and all then the last. Oh, sorry. Go um, ahead. <laughs> it's okay. The last one, which is the one that makes the hard charging entrepreneurs have like a pulsating vein <laughs> in the middle of their forehead. <laughs> Um, because they really can't believe it, it's possible to, to have a benefit and that's making something. Mm-hmm. So we believe that making art is for people who are retired, crafty people, <laughs> children, people who have time to kill, but certainly not busy people who have all kinds of very stressful and complicated and demanding lives. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, and I was in that camp. I'm a, I'm 100% a former, um, resistor of believing in the power of making something. And I recognized that when I started moving my hands to either sketch or paint or doodle or make something in the kitchen, um, collage, whatever, that I noticed that my entire being changed. And again, I had access to something that felt like a magic key that I had lost sort of like in the cushions of the sofa for years, you know, that I had it as a kid, but here it is again, this is different. And this ability to completely access the power within us by a simple five minute doodle. Well, what's happening with that? That's a whole different brain process. 
And so again, a true reset of the central nervous system by making something and we, we can train ourselves to let go of whatever the result is. It is a daily challenge for me. I just painted something this morning and I caught myself going, I don't know if I like that or not. And then I was like, <laughs> oops, that's not the, that's not the statement. That's yeah. not, not the point. Um, but we constantly have to just sort of be aware. And if we can let go of that result, we'll try more things because we won't care what it looks like and we won't worry if someone judges it. It can be just for us, but it has an absolutely very interesting um, ability for us to transmute trauma, discord, confusion, anxiety into self-empowerment, self-trust, self-esteem, confidence, and clarity. It's quite something. Yeah. It's so powerful. And it, I think it makes you feel in control. Yes. Um, my, my piece when I almost interjected is I love, I've done a morning routine. I'm a huge believer in it. I'm definitely the resistor. And my step before like the sixth M I want to say, uh, and you may agree <laughs> or disagree, but before I could even get into that is I had to make space. I had to like carve yes. five minutes out, which was ridiculous. It was there. It was just, you know, spinning the narrative. And like, in addition, and like people have told me about this, cause I, will I talk about this a lot, like clear, like literal clutter, like clear out your house, clear out your desk, yes. like clear out literal space. And it's like, then the mental space starts to clear as well. And then once I had that space to do things for me, I think everyone's experience is different. It, these other things became easier. And then when I saw that I had time to create or paint, I actually bought an easel and paints and stuff like a year ago. And I, I, I did one project and then didn't continue it. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to get it out. I'm going to commit to this because I'm putting it on the air right now and paint <laughs> something before I have this out. Um, or at least create, I, I don't know if I'll do, I have a canvas. So I might start on a paper first as a practice, even though I'm not judging it. We'll just <laughs> the commitment. Piece is of bigger. notebook paper, three <laughs> by five car, post it. Seriously. Okay. Um, the, the less connected, the less concerned we are about the materials because I was a material snob. Oh, I have to have the best thing or the blah, yeah. blah. Um, cause I can't possibly do anything without that. No, you just yeah. slap it on something. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm, I do like to be clear with the universe. I am here for the green Lamborghini at one point in my life. So we do want that, but I hear you. And I saved Susie had to do this really awesome. I don't want to ruin the exercise, but we did this drawing exercise. I don't know if you want to share it or not. Cause it, it's anyways, you, I won't go into detail, but these are, you can't see it. I'll go a little bit closer. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, they're not good drawings, but she closed her eyes and drawings. And then, you know, you can kind of get idea of who you are, how you feel. But my point isn't really about the exercise. It's just letting go and creating with your eyes closed. And this exercise was powerful for me. And there was similarity in three drawings that we did when I was not even looking, which was really cool. Do you want to talk about this at all? Or is this kind of ruin what it is? I, um, I would, I'll talk about it because I think it's so fascinating because we all are so sure that we don't have any talent, <laughs> that we don't, that we're not unique, right. that um, there's nothing about us that has a unique line or a unique style. So um, I, I do this exercise and I learned this from author and artist, Linda Berry, um, who is a genius. Um, and if you want to really um, explore her work. I highly recommend doing so. So if you, if you do a very brief exercise where you're drawing three different things 
and you have one minute each for each drawing and you you're not able to look at your paper while you draw it so number one that takes you out of the compare and despair game right off the bat because how could you possibly be at fault for not drawing something well if you can't look at it? Um, but what happens is we actually have a very definitive style in our work. And I believe with you all, I did Statue of Liberty, Mermaid, and Pineapple. Yeah, what we did. Yeah. So um, three very different drawings. And yet, when you put your drawing side by side, yeah. you can you can have this almost shivery realization. <laughs> I do have a style to my line. It's creepy. I do have yeah. a recognizable energy to the way that I move my hands. This yeah. is the thing that is so important because if you hold up your yeah, Statue of Liberty. Them there this is it's so funny because it actually looks like I don't know I feel like my life is like my brother calls it my cartoon life I kind of think my head looks like an emoji <laughs> and I'm not saying this in a self-deprecating way it's just kind of like the energy and it looks I don't know if you can see these this okay per okay now hold that still for a second can you see it? okay that's that's your mermaid right <laughs> I think so yes. yeah that's mermaid okay this is Statue of Liberty perfect <laughs> And you can like, see, you can totally see the similarities in these I mean, lines. This might look like your horse that looked like the coffee table, to be honest, <laughs> but we'll go with it. And then this is your pineapple. Um, the yes. pineapple. Yes. And what's, what's, I drew a sun in all three of them, which is so yes. weird. <laughs> see? So here, here's the thing. What's so interesting to me is that when I look at what you drew, I feel something very different. I feel something, I feel a playful, sunny, energetic vibe. That's where the power of the art lies. That's what came right out of you onto your page. You're not even looking and it went right into my heart. Uh -huh. That's the power of art. Then whether or not that pineapple or the Statue of Liberty or the mermaid looks like anything, quote unquote, we're responding to the energy of you, which is 100% unique and like nothing else. So if we can release our fascination and our grip on, oh, it has to be a certain way or it has to look a certain way or blah, blah, blah. Even if you start, you're making something with one blind drawing set a timer for one minute and um, dream up something. I'm going to draw a dog. Okay. And you're not able to look down. You, you can look to put your pencil down on a piece of paper and then set the timer and go for a minute and have the experience of at first you're a little discombobulated. You're wanting mm -hmm. to control it. You're wanting to peek. Cause you still, even though no one's around, you still want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. And then you kind of move through all of these emotions and all of this resistance. And then you kind of free yourself by the time that the drawing is over, you've experienced sort of like the collapse of time and you've already taken yourself across the threshold. But if you do a series of three different ones in one sitting, you're going to see, wait a second here. 
I can recognize something in that. And you're going to feel that that is uniquely yours. And that gives you a sense of self that puts so much fuel in your self-trust um, rocket ship, which is your key to entrepreneurial success. Oh, mic drop. It, it's, it's funny because I, <clears throat> I don't just, do, I don't do exercise, life, but like sometimes when I'm doing coaching or speaking, we'll, we'll do a couple of things where it's about like empowering. Like what I said, when you're, when you sit down to draw, you're in control, but it's all a mirage. It's so funny. Like you're saying it comes through and like, the, like you're just like the vessel where the energy comes through and then it comes onto the paper. So you, you come through with this mirage of control, but really it's like appeasing your ego just to get to the source. Um, but that's oh, a lot that's to so say good. up front. That's so good. <laughs> That's very that um, I love that. It just it, that probably that. just came through the drawings through you from you. So it was a but it, it's the truth. <laughs> I mean, so much of like marketing, branding, what I do and everything else is not to fabricate or whatever. It's to get to the truth of things. Like I tell my clients, I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I'm fabulous at creativity, but I'm here to reveal the truth of what's already there. And kind of like what you were saying mm. is like sometimes we get it as coaches or leader, as consultants. But then I for myself, I'm like, oh, no, I actually need to go draw the palm tree not looking and or the pineapple that looked like the the palm tree and the statue to like get it. So it's so funny how you like the art is is a reflection of us, but we really need it to show us who we are. Yes. Woo! You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just so crazy because like again, my varsity humans like we're in control. We want to fix it. We want to do all this stuff. And like I feel like the key piece, and I'm curious on your opinions, is really like letting go. And it's the hardest thing in the world. Did you struggle with that at all? Oh, not at all. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> so as, as a as a person who was the capital P for perfectionist, um, so controlling, so controlling, um, wanting to manage the whole world, yeah. you know, and if I could have done that, I would have signed up for it. Let me just arrange and manage everything. Um, and of course, that's no fun for Nemo. Or anybody who's around Nemo, for that matter. Um, so it is something that I have to get up and address and release every single day. It is a practice just like the five M's are for me because my, I'm wired to act, to take action in a certain way. And I'm wired, my neural pathways want to direct me toward um, being the clipboard version of Susie. Mm -hmm. And my trains run on time. Like I'm the logistics queen. I can do, I can have six things on the stove and 20 things in the oven. And it's all like clickety, clackety, clickety, clackety. It's all running great. Um, and that's great if you're doing Thanksgiving dinner, it doesn't make for a happy life. Yeah. So yes to letting go. Yes to, um, being kind to yourself and compassionate to yourself. It's so sounds so trite, but it is such a vital thing for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really curious because clearly I identify with so much you're saying. I'm less of a perfectionist. I think one of the best things uh, the universe allowed me to be as an entrepreneur early because I couldn't stand a, uh, a boss here for leadership, but 
anyways, boss authority was always my thing. Anyways, I was very protected from like corporate world. Cause when you're in the corporate world, like you have these ideologies of what you should be. And I think serendipitously. So I was protected from a lot. Of, so a lot of my radar of like what I care about isn't perfectionism and stuff. And there's no better or worse. It's just, you know, we're finding our path. Um, but I'm curious because on the flip side of that, I was, used to doing the hard charge. I had my own deliverables. I had a certain, you know, way I want to perform as an athlete, as a, as a business person. And the, I was very comfortable with the grind and like the fight and I couldn't, and I'm still working on this calming and being good with being happy with being still with not doing a million things. But I, I want to say truly feeling content happiness. Like it, I don't think a lot of people exist in happiness because we're so used to stress and drama and and like, you know, I'm a built warrior and it's to find settled space and happiness. So I think art obviously and creativity brings that out. Did you struggle with that at all? And just being happy and being okay with that? So I actually have so many other, um, polarities to my being. I came out as a baby, sort of giggly, happy, um, generous, loving the world. And so that's kind of at my core. Okay. And what happened to me, my layers of concrete that came along through my 20s and 30s, and then my nuclear winter period, <laughs> um, shaped me into this figure of sort of laden with responsibility and this overwhelming sense of duty, mm -hmm. do the right thing. Even if it's at your own expense, right? You, you sacrifice for whatever. But as a result of that, even though I had a happy core, <laughs> I similarly sort of lived my life in sort of an energetic blender because that was the mirror of how it felt inside of my stomach, mm. sort of fluttery, anxious, not, not settled. And so I created all of this work around me that felt safe because I could distract myself from what I was feeling by having these little stashes of work and projects and these unbelievable goals to strive for. So that's so incredibly socially acceptable and rewarded by our society. Yeah. yeah. And so we're thinking, okay, I need to keep jumping through these hoops and excelling and striving and being, and, and you know, and then one of the, my favorite things that I love to say now is that you can't overachieve your way out of burnout. <laughs> yeah. And that's, what I was literally trying to do, I didn't have the language for that at the time, but that's exactly what I was trying to do. And so when we're unable to sit still with ourselves, that's a manifestation of how uncomfortable we are in our own skin. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, the path out of that though, is this slow realization and the slow change of going from, I have to prove something to the world to, I can just chill and be in 
you know, do less. enjoy myself <laughs> and I yeah. can enjoy, um, the things that bring me alive without guilt and without feeling like, oh, now I'm behind. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, I'm in, a, I, I, I lost my edge, you know, um, and that's just such mean talk mm -hmm. that we, that we do to ourselves. We can be very hardworking and very productive and very accomplished without the accompanying negative baggage that can come along with that. We can have both and have a artful, joyful life as a result. I love it. I'm going to record that and we listen to it. And it's funny because my, it was an emotional experience for me, but a lot of it was around the, the, one of the biggest blessings in my life, which was being a competitive athlete and having sports as all these, you know, life skills, teachers and everything. But like in athletics, like if you like training CrossFit, like you train, but you got to stay in it to stay up with it. Like there's no gray area. However, my mentality, my life was aligning with that mentality. And of course, we hit adrenal fatigue and universe whoops you hard. And there was a car in front of me, literally with the license plate that said, be still that parked in front of me at the gym. <laughs> the universe was just, just give me a sign. Right any sign. Yeah. It's so it does not mess. I swear I get the signs the hardest because I'm dense and strong willed, um, but it, it'll hit you. But it's, it's funny how like good things in our life can you know be misunderstood or taken to the extreme as I do and applied to the wrong thing. So anyways, it, it's just finding that be still in the contentment. And I think the creativity and the art and everything makes you do that. And again, it kind of like shifts like the, the, the marketing spin at PR is it to like, not, you're not being still, you're doing art. Like you're not really being still, but you are. And like, you're letting it come through. So I don't know if and this experience is to anyone that's listening, but maybe you can kind of conjure in your mind a certain way just to get started <laughs> and get pen. To well, paper. and, and it can be your sketch again, can be something, you know, just a one minute thing that you stare at and you can, um, it's almost like you're melding with the thing that you're staring at. And that is a wonderful feeling to have in your body because we don't experience it that much. Mm -hmm. And you'll want to come back the next day and, and do it again. Yes. It's, it's like a, a healthy drug, if you will. Like it's a good, exactly. it's a good like addiction <laughs> to build. Um, we got to like spin it to the, to, like the achievable goal, like the athlete in me is like, you know, you're going to win, you know, the Olympics of drawing if you just do this and you know, it's a silly game we play, but uh, we can go on. I have some more questions. I want to be mindful of your schedule. I love, you know, the head and the heart connect that you so eloquently display in the book. Um, if you're listening and you're curious, we, we touched on some really important things. The five M's are fabulous, but Susie really breaks down, um, how to reconnect like head and heart, get back to the creativity in a super digestible, easy way. I love that you lean into your personal story. I think that resonates with people uh, so much, especially when mental health is such a powerful conversation. We talk about the human behind the project, which I'm really passionate about because I know that's where everything stems. So I appreciate you digging into the deep and sharing your journey, but grab this. If you're wondering if you're an entrepreneur, or even if not, if you're a leader of a, you know, a coach, a family, a mentor, I think this is phenomenal. So you can lead by example um, in your self-actualization heart space. Uh, Susie, is there anything you want to leave us with? Parting words, a quote, anything that you wanted to share? I, I think I just want to encourage everyone that there's no magical skill set that you have to have to do any of this. The only thing you have to have is willingness. And if you have that, the, the sky is the limit and you can, um, you can do absolutely everything that's in this book and you can actually accomplish 
all of your entrepreneurial dreams as a result. Boom. Do you have any events or speaking tours or signing sessions or anything else you want to share? Um, I don't have anything um, in the near term, but I would love to direct people to go to my website to um, I invite them to sign up for my free newsletter, which is called Inspired, and it comes out every Friday. Um, so my website is innovationandcreativityinstitute.com, and it's a wonderful way to get like a little boost of inspiration to, to send you out onto your weekend with some some. Um, new energy and a new perspective. I love it. Check out her YouTube page. You know, I'm a fan of YouTube. That's the hot new thing in my world. Um, but the book is fabulous. She's got three really, or three, you have a bunch of blogs up, but the th I saw three or four with like five quick tips. They're really well done. So there's a wealth of information at your fingertips. If you go uh, to her website or the YouTube channel or any of the above, I'll of course have all the links when we post this. But I just, I love the the new age approach of, you know, wealth of experience, wealth of education, and then just a wealth of realism. I think this is a fabulous tool for all ages and so needed in our world right now. So I really appreciate the time and energy. Oh, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to be here. Yes. And I would love if like in six months or, you know, things start to grow, I'm excited to see if my favorite thing is Hoda and Jenna. So when you go on there, um, you can come back <laughs> after you're on the show, but I would love to check in and see how like the process, uh, how this goes and just how the process evolved and where you're at. Cause I think a lot of my listeners are, might not be writing or something, but they're in similar space where like, I'll say the star is rising and, or we're getting more, you know, closer to self-actualization. I, I would just love to check in in, in six months and see what's going on. I would love that. Thank you. Okay. We'll stay in touch. Good luck in the meantime. All right. We'll soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.